Welcome to episode 19 of Fearless Rebel Radio. In this episode, Steph Godro returns to the show and we talk about the mixed messages that we receive about being strong and how that leads to being skinny and how Steph feels about the messaging that strong is the new skinny, how you can bust through your intimidations and get comfortable lifting weights in the gym, what foods most women lack in their diet that prevent them from getting stronger, how to know if you're eating enough to sustain your activity levels, uh, how to know when too much training starts to eat away at your health, plus everything about Steph's new cookbook, The Performance Paleo Cookbook, and so much more. Before we get started with the show, I just want to announce that the January cycle of the 21 Step Body Image Remix starts Monday, January 5th. You will learn to embrace your body and unleash the fierce, confident woman within in this online program. That's 21 days, and it's amazing. The women that do it really come out of it saying that it is life-changing. So head to bodyimageremix.com to sign up for that and start with me in the January cycle on Monday, January 5th. You can find all the show notes for this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash FRR19. And as always, remember that you can head to my website, summerinandin.com, to grab your free Rule Breakers ebook to help you ditch diets and love your body. Plus, when you sign up, you get a ton of other freebies and like exclusive blog posts and worksheets and things like that. All right, let's get started with the show. Rebel Radio, baby! I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice not-so-PG-rated rants and interviews with fearless rebel guests. Welcome to the show. Hey everyone, I am very excited about today's guest. She's actually a returning fearless rebel guest and I'm pumped to have her back. Today we have Steph Godreau returning to the show. Steph combines 12 years of science teaching experience, a certificate in holistic nutrition, and an unabashed love of tasty paleo food on her blog, Stupid Easy Paleo. Steph went paleo in 2010, and it didn't take long for her to decide that she was never turning back. Eating clean, nutrient-dense foods has fueled her both in life and as a competitive athlete. Steph's mission is to spread the word about how to make simple, tasty recipes to help people in their quest to just eat real food. She authored The Paleo Athlete, A Beginner's Guide to Real Food for Performance in 2014, and her actual, like, real hardcover book, The Performance, or softcover, The Performance Paleo Cookbook, Recipes for Eating Better, Training Hard and getting stronger is now available for purchase on Amazon and I believe it's going to be released January 6th you can correct me if I'm wrong but welcome to the show staff thanks for having me back yeah it is January 6th right it is January January 6th yeah awesome so good time for you know holiday Christmas gifts which this will air after Christmas but hopefully people have already placed those orders yeah, perfect for, you know, you're going to get back into the gym and you know, make those commitments to improving your health and fitness. And I think it's a it's a great time of the year for people to pick it up. I always get people Amazon gift cards for Christmas presents, too. Mm. So it's always good to spend your money on uh, on those types of books when you when you get those gift cards. If, if you're one of the lucky people that gets a gift card for Christmas. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's obviously like some really exciting stuff. And I know uh, you actually have the book in your hands now because I saw you posted um, like a little video preview on your on your Instagram feed or on your Facebook feed. Um, so, you know, for people who aren't familiar with you or your work, you do want to just or who maybe didn't listen to the episode that you were on before, 
which was episode four, I should say. So you can find that on iTunes or you can just go to summerinandin.com forward slash FRR dash four for the previous episode that you were on. But I'd love our listeners to know just a little bit, you know, about your story again and how you got to where you are today. Oh, our, we have an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, uh, just go through. Ab- I'll, I'll give you the abridged version. Yeah. So, um, well, in terms of my professional career, I came out of college. I studied biology, human physiology, and I actually became a high school teacher. So I was a high school biology and chemistry teacher for 12 years. And it sounds so weird to say because I don't feel like it was that long, but um, it became kind of obvious to me after about, oh, I'd say eight or nine years that I was definitely feeling restless and I wanted to do something else. Um, And I still, you know, I think I'm a teacher, but I just teach to a different audience now. So kind of around 2010, which is when I started to eat paleo, I actually had a different blog where I would write about mountain biking and, and all my training for that. And I would put up recipes. Uh, and that was for a few years. And then eventually, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said, you know, you should just start a food blog. And so like I, any other person in that position, I just said, okay. <laughs> like I didn't know really anything about blogging as a business or you know working online and stuff like that. But I started Stupid Easy Paleo in 2011 and started blogging and I was working full time still but I I wasn't happy with my job and I over the course of uh, about two years figured out a plan for how I was going to exit my teaching job and transition into Stupid Easy Paleo full time and so that's what I did in well officially officially I left my job in a, in June of 2014, but I had a year where I took a leave of absence and I kind of explored if it was even really possible for me to make Stupid Easy Paleo a full-time job. And turns out it was. There's plenty of work to do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I left my job and uh, started pouring my time myself full-time into Stupid Easy Paleo. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, you're really like, you know, you're such a role model in terms of, you know, promoting strength and fitness and and weightlifting for women and I you know that was one of the things that we touched on a little bit last time when we chatted but it was like I had all these other questions that I wanted to ask you so I'm I'm really excited to kind of talk to you about those things um this time and so specifically you know I think a lot of women go into strength training with the intention of wanting to you know be skinny or lose weight. Like that's often kind of this allure, you know, they see women who are really strong, but they have like a lower, you know, body fat percentage. And I think that that can kind of, you know, become a bit convoluted. And so how can someone move from wanting to be strong with the intention of actually wanting to be skinny versus just wanting to be strong to be strong? I think the simple answer lies in us accepting the fact that bodies are just different shapes and sizes like it's you know somebody like me I'm not I'm never going to be five foot ten and have a very slender frame um I've always even when I was mountain biking and I was doing really long endurance races and I was doing triathlons and I kind of had that typical um muscle wasting and you know I got a lot smaller I still was big (laughs) compared to other people that I wanted to be like. And I would look at the girls out there doing triathlons or racing bikes. And I was like, man, if only I could be five foot 10 and 120 pounds, like my life would be so much easier in terms of being an athlete. But I was still failing to accept that, like my, I'm not going to grow another six inches, (laughs) first of all. And I'm just, I just have a more muscular frame. It's just how I'm built. Mm-hmm. So I think finally accepting that and and just saying, you know what, like this is my lot in life. I'm, you know, I can't change my body frame. Even if I can drop my body fat percentage, there are certain things I can't be. Um, but what what can I be with what I'm given, right? So I really kind of explain it to people as it was a change in mindset from what. 
like what my body looks like to what my body can do. Mm. And that has been a huge change in mindset for me, focusing less on the aesthetic and like, oh, I need to dial in an exact body fat percentage and, you know, I have to be able to be a certain weight, which I do do a sport, ironically, that is by weight class. Yeah. Um, but I know, but I have moved up a weight class. Um, I, now that I focus on what I'm physically capable of doing um, and also the mental strength that goes with it, but the physical capacity, I find myself so free from the like worrying about like, oh, uh, oh, I can't see my abs as much today as I did yesterday or like, oh, I, you know, why can't I just seem to drop a few pounds? Like it's really been a huge mindset shift for me. And I think now that I know that and, and I really believe it and I'm okay with it, it's been a lot easier. So, you know, I think just kind of changing my perspective from only focusing on the on the physical, like the aesthetic, to the actual capacity there. And that's been a huge change for me. I love the way that you frame that up in terms of, you know, what can I be with what I'm given? And, you know, what can my body do versus what does it look like? Uh, did that kind of, did that mindset shift happen for you after you started to play around with the barbell? Or, or was that something that happened before, um, you know, like did, did kind of introducing yourself to strength and realizing, wow, my body is actually really good at this. Was, was that kind of a catalyst for you to have that mindset change? Yeah, it was definitely, it definitely played a huge role because when I was racing bikes, um, you know, I was racing endurance, six, 12, 24 hour races. Wow. And there's, yeah, there's a premium there put on body weight because the heavier you are, the harder it is to move your own body weight plus the mass of your bike. Um, and especially if you're trying to escape gravity by climbing up hills, which there's definitely a lot of in mountain biking and the type of racing that I was doing. So I was always really focused on trying to be as small as possible. And um, when I started to, when I was introduced to CrossFit, I mean, I was probably at my most, um, I was probably at my most efficient in terms of cycling, but I was also my weakest <laughs> in terms of anything off the bike. So I was highly specially trained to do stuff that was on the bike. But if you put me um, in front of a box and told me to jump on it, when I first started crossfitting, I couldn't jump on like a 12 or 16 inch box, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty staggering, you know, that you could develop so much specificity. For sure. And, you know, we see that all the time. I mean, weightlifters go the other way too. Like, for example, we hardly ever introduce any kind of rotational, you know, exercising and that. So there's definitely deficiencies when you start to specialize so highly in a certain sport. However, um, you know, I, with that focus on power to weight ratio and stuff like that, um, I, I could just never seem to get as small as I wanted to be. And then when I started to CrossFit and then eventually found that weightlifting was what I really love to do because it's such a complex movement. And, you know, it, to me, it's like learning how to dance, you know, anybody can move around the floor, but if you really want to like develop the technique and the skill, you really have to practice. And I found through CrossFit that I was just, I was built to move heavier things and I was good at it. So that's really when I started to have that awakening as to like, Hey, you know what? I'm never going to be 5'10 and 120 pounds, um, but I'm at all, I'm actually really good at squatting and I'm really good at moving heavy weight and I really like it. There's definitely a sense of um, accomplishment and it, it kind of feeds me in a way that um, other sports I've done haven't. So I, I don't know. I think it's just kind of a great match for me physically and, and where I am in my life and um, it, it poses a challenge and I'm not quite breaking myself down as much as I was with some of the other sports that I've done. Yeah. And I mean, I think for you, like you, you know, you really excel in it as, you know, like a competitive athlete. And um, I'm just going to speak for people who are listening who aren't competitive athletes like myself. Um, And I think it's, it's about just like discovering, you know, what, 
your body can, like, like you said, discovering what your body can do, but to the extent that like you can do it and being okay with whatever that is, you know, like for me, like I lift heavy weights, but, uh, you know, I've just kind of reached a point where like, I know I'm never going to be able to, to, you know, back squat past like a certain amount, unless I like, you know, really dedicate focus and training to it, which is just not necessarily like my personal goal. My personal goal is to just be like generally kind of, you know, strong, fit, healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes there can be like this level of intimidation, you know, like they, they perceive strong as, as like seeing women who can, you know, like snatch a hundred pounds and whatnot, which obviously takes like, you know, sometimes years of, of work and dedication and training. And so they immediately are put off by that because they're like, oh, that's not for me. Like, that's really intimidating. That's unattainable. And so I think it's important to kind of mention that it's just about like, you know, being a better version of you. And even if that means you go into a gym and you are starting out with like a five pound weight or like an empty barbell or just like doing an air squat that, Mm -hmm. you know, just being really content with the fact that like every time you can even add, you know, just like five pounds to that, that that's really just being, you know, taking pride in what your body is, is able to do for you. And and I know a ton of people who are not competitive in the sense that they don't ever want to enter a competition. So my husband and I were in Salt Lake City this summer and it just happened to coincide with the uh, USAW weightlifting senior national meet. And so we went to watch because we knew some people competing and we walked in and he and I had two completely different reactions. I looked at those double stages and the lights and the people and I was like, I want, I need to do this. (laughs) That's awesome. And and he looked at me and he said, I feel like throwing up, even though he wasn't, he wasn't competing. Like he's just not a, a person who wants to put himself out there on the stage. However, he's highly competitive with himself. Um, you know what I mean? So I think there's a huge distinction there. People can still be competitive and want to improve and have that drive to succeed, but they never want to enter a formal competition. And I think that's totally fine. Um, but having goals is part of, you know, to just go to the gym without having any goals at all and just saying like, oh, I'm just going to move around. It makes it hard to keep going after a while. And, you know, your goal of just being kind of all around healthy and badass, like that's, I love that. I think that's totally awesome. And, um, you know, so I don't, I don't, look down upon people who are just like, hey, I never want to enter a meet or I just don't want to do a local competition. Like I don't want to ever go and do a race. Like, hey, that's fine. Like (laughs) do what makes you happy. You don't have to do that sort of stuff to have goals in the gym. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a, a good distinction to make. Like, yeah, like you were saying, you know, you have a goal of doing a certain back squat or you have a goal of doing a certain, you know, increasing a certain amount or being able to accomplish a a skill that you couldn't before. And if that's just for your own satisfaction or because you're getting healthier along the way, like more power to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, yeah. And I think it can be so fun. You know, like I I went through a period where I was like, I'm only going to focus on handstands and like just getting like a handstand. And that was just super fun for me, you know, like, that's not really going to help me in life other than it was just cool. (laughs) And, uh, and it was fun. And it was a way to just like, you know, kind of be a kid again, because there was like a period of a couple years where I did gymnastics when I was like, really, really little. And so I always loved being upside down and doing that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, for for women who who maybe like they've never touched a barbell, and they're super intimidated. Uh, you know, what, you know, like what advice do you have for them? And maybe it's can be like kind of just maybe telling a bit about like what you were like when you first started to make people feel better as well. Yeah. So when I'll start with the last part, when I first started, um, I wasn't a hundred percent on like unfamiliar with lifting weights. So when I was probably in my early twenties, just mind, mind you for reference, that was like 12 years prior to when I started CrossFit. So it was a while. Um, but when I was in my early 20s, I was kind of a gym rat and I would go to the gym and I would use the Smith machine and do some squats and I would bench press and stuff like that. And I used a fair amount of dumbbells and, and stuff like that. But I wasn't I wasn't completely unfamiliar with uh, with weightlifting or at least moving a barbell around. And then I took a really long break and I just 
race bikes. And then when I was 30, I'm doing the math, 32, <laughs> 32, <laughs> I started doing CrossFit. And I had never in my life done an Olympic lift. So I actually found a video of myself in my very early days, like probably the first month or two of CrossFit of me trying to do a clean and jerk. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's so bad. Like I, <laughs> I was completely, you could tell how awkward my body was with the movements because it was completely unfamiliar to me. So, you know, everybody starts somewhere and some people have the luxury of being exposed to this stuff when they're young. And so like think of gymnasts or think of like, um, so when I was cycling, I was always thinking, man, I wish I had ri I raced BMX when I was a kid. Cause you see people that have been exposed to these types of movements for years and years and years. And it looks, you know, second nature. And yeah, there's, there's skill and kind of talent involved in that too. And like being naturally gifted. But for a lot of people that you see it, that are higher level in certain sports, it's taken them a while to get there. So, you know, when I first started, um, I clearly remember, going to my friend Annika's gym for a workout to learn how to Olympic lift better. And I couldn't get 75 pounds over my head. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like that's not even an empty barbell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if, or plus, I should say an empty barbell plus two, uh, two 10 kilo plates is 77 pounds. So I couldn't even snatch that. Um, and it's just through exposure that and, and reps and practice that I've gotten better. Um, so that kind of answers the the last part of the question about you know what it, what I was like um, when I first started, and it was like completely, it was like I had two left feet. Um, so, you know, in order like in terms of getting started, I think there's a couple things to think about. First of all, when we say lifting heavy, so I talk to women about lifting heavy and I think a lot of times they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to need to have 200 pounds on the bar and my eye, you know, like my eyes are bugging out of my head and like my vein in my forehead's going to be popping out. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> they think it's, for a lot of people, that's really super intimidating. And so when I say lifting heavy, I just mean like heavy for what your particular capacity is at yes. this point in time, right? So it's all relative and we're all different. Um, and just because I'm lifting a heavy weight doesn't mean it's the same weight somebody else is going to be lifting, but yet it might be heavy for them at that time. Um, I think finding a gym that you're comfortable in is really important. So that might not be like a globo gym with a super cheap membership, because if you're wanting to learn how to do some strength training, but you really have no idea where to start. And if you're just going to pay like, you know, 15 bucks a month and go to a Globo gym, you might not get the training or the coaching that you need to actually learn to do it properly. And I think that's really important when you're first starting out is having a, or a trainer around who can, first of all, make sure you're per performing the lift safely um, and just kind of keep an eye on you and help you develop. And I think that's really important if you want to stick with it for the long term. Um, finding a buddy that you can train with or going to a gym with somebody who you can trust, like, you know, a friend, somebody, you know, is going to kind of keep an eye out on out an eye out for you, um, is also, you know, can help you get motivated and stay going to the gym. And if you have a workout buddy and stuff like that, um, that can definitely help. And then I think there's a lot to be said about actually not barbell training, but training with dumbbells and training with kettlebells and stuff like that, where you can still get a heavy enough load to at least at the beginning to to challenge you um but it's maybe not as intimidating as using a barbell yeah for sure yeah i think uh you know like so finding um finding a good trainer is so and a good facility i think is just like so so important um I've, I've been really lucky to have that all along but um you know i know it's not easy to find but i think it's like you know, I encourage people to just take that extra time to find that because it can be, it can really be like the the thing that makes the biggest difference. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's worth shopping around. It's worth asking a lot of questions. Um, it's worth, you know, doing some research and really kind of investing your time and finding the right match for you. And it, it you know, it could be for different reasons. Like some people want an ultra competitive environment. Some people want a non-competitive environment. Some people want 
want a gym that's more kind of communal, want a gym where they just go and no one bothers them, you know? So it, it just, it just really depends what you're looking for and what's going to be a good match. Yeah. And just for anyone out there who's feeling intimidated, you can always ask me where I was when I started because I can guarantee I was like <laughs> probably where you are. <laughs> I've been I was like the most awkward, you know, like always last place in gym and like the most unathletic person. So, if you ever need to feel better, just just shoot me an email or tweet tweet me or Facebook me and be like Summer, I, I can't even do an air squat. And I'll be like, uh, listen, I'll tell you how long it took me to be able to perfect anything that I can do now. I was like a very slow learner and very, very like weak when I started. So um, yeah, just putting that out there. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and I, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, and you know, when you're kind of taking that long view of health and fitness for life and being strong and, and kind of taking that like long-term approach, you're not going to win the first week you go there. Like you're not like, and if you're a really competitive person like me, you want to show up and like be the winner. Um, <laughs> cause you want to be the best. And mm -hmm. for a lot of us, these types of movements, like we haven't done since we were a kid or we've never done. And so we have to be a little bit kinder to ourselves. I think when we're first starting out, like it's okay to be awkward and look, think you look silly and think people are staring at you and, that, like the truth of it is they're probably not even paying attention. But, um, you know, it's a learning process. And it's just like yoga. I think a lot of people go to yoga and they're like, yeah, it's just a, I'm just practicing. Some days I'm good. Some days I'm terrible at it. But the same applies to, to like strength training and weightlifting and stuff too. Yeah, You may have bad days. You may have good days. Like it's all just part of the process. For sure. For sure. And so as you know, let, let's kind of just talk about this as it relates to uh, kind of the images we see uh, coming out of, you know, like the magazines that promote, uh, you know, quote unquote strength and, you know, like CrossFit and whatnot. Um, the messaging that strong is the new skinny. How do you, you know, how do you kind of feel about that? I have a lot of mixed feelings and like on one level, you know, you're still seeing lots of images of women that look perfect or they have a certain body size um, and shape. And a lot of times they're professional models or, you know, you don't know the backstory that's gone into that photo, even if it's not Photoshopped, like let's say it's just a raw photo of somebody who happens to be, you know, really cut or they look very muscular, but not too muscular, right? Because we don't want to see women that look too muscular, yeah. um, right? It's it's never like, you're never really seeing women uh, in that other, uh, kind of on the other side of the spectrum. But, you know, we don't see or know what's gone into the making of that picture. So that woman may have, you know, cut her diet significantly for the last number of weeks to make that photo look a certain way or if you see figure competitors like they're not always going to be walking around with their kind of final competition prep diet to really get the last eke the last bit out of their body fat or they're you know really trying to um, flush out and and get that really cut look um, so you don't know what the story is behind that picture um, and unless it's somebody like you actually recognize and let's say, for example, you could look at a girl from the CrossFit Games and you're like, well, I've actually seen what she can do on, in the CrossFit Games. She's really strong. Like you don't even know if that person in that kind of fitspo kind of meme can do anything that's of strength value. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times I think we we have the impression that the aesthetic and the physical output are 100% tied together. And that's not true, right? So you could have somebody that's not, not like super low body fat, um, but they're still strong and they can move a lot of weight and they're like highly capable. Um, and they're still never going to have that super low body fat. Like they're never going to be super cut. And that's okay. Like they're still strong and they're, they still could be incredibly healthy. So I think it's important to know that those two things don't always necessarily go hand in hand, Yeah, you know, um, and what you see may not be what's actually happening in real life. Like that 
ask that girl to do a 200 pound back squat, what's going to happen? I don't know. She might be completely capable and she may be a complete mess. Like who knows what, what that person can actually do physically based on how they look. And so I think that's a really important message to, or kind of a subtext, if you will, to kind of get out of those types of images. Now, on the other hand, like, are we just promoting that people get strong and, and like strength is an important component of overall health? I think that's amazing because I, I don't think we've ever had a period in time where we've had so many women into lifting weights and into Olympic lifting and who are interested in powerlifting or who love to just go and lift up a barbell. Like, you know, USAW's membership has grown by like 300% in the last few years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I don't think you would have a lot of that going on if it weren't in large part for the CrossFit world and kind of this idea that, you know, hey, women can do this stuff. So, you know, we we kind of have this opportunity now to get into the gym, to see what we can do in terms of strength and to build that strength for, you know, a lifetime as we get older. Um, you know, muscle mass is incredibly important. And, and I think that we now have this, there's more of an opening, especially to get people just in women, especially just interested and guys too, but to get women interested in lifting. And so it's kind of a double edged sword. Like, like there's still a lot of focus on what pieces, what they can do, but we're, we're at least getting people in the door and, and we're getting women interested in lifting weights and getting strong. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think there, it's got, it's got pluses and minuses for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, and this is something I, I talk about in, in an upcoming podcast, which you'll hear with, um, with Caitlin Constantine from fit, uh, um, fit and feminist, uh, her blog's awesome. But anyways, uh, like I was just saying to her, um, that like, I would just like to see more diverse images of strength, mm -hmm. you know, like the reality, I think if you look at actual competitive, you know, powerlifting athletes, weightlifting athletes, they look a lot different than those people on the cover of, you know, whatever the magazines are, you know, they really do come in more diverse shapes and sizes. And I just think that it would be awesome as a culture if, if that was celebrated more openly than just kind of showing and showcasing people who happen to be strong and also have a really low body fat. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting to me because when, when people watch Olympians that are Olympic weightlifters or people that are really highly capable and they're, you know, elite athletes, a lot of times the women come up and people are like, whoa, they look like dudes. And it's like, well, you know, their bodies are highly trained to do something that's very specific. And number two, like people come, like you said, these women come in all different shapes and sizes. And, and so we're not all going to be a certain body fat percentage and we're not all going to be a certain be built the same way. Um, so, you know, a lot of the kind of fitspo images that I see are of women who are just of a very narrow body type in terms of, you know, like the range of what we see out there. And it's not representative of, of, of a broad range of people. Yeah. And I think, you know, for people to see a broader range is like, just go and Google like <laughs> actual mm -hmm. competitive, uh, you know, weightlifting uh, females and, and, you know, power look at like pictures of actual powerlifting competitions to see like what, what strong can be and strong women too, you know, like as I interviewed Stacey Toth in, mm. um, you know, I think it was episode six of, of this, but uh, you know, it, it's like, strong women come in so many different shapes and sizes. So I want to shift gears here to talk about uh, nutrition as it relates to performance and training. And I don't, you know, I don't talk a lot about food or nutrition specifically on my show, but I want to talk about this with you because um, I think it's important. And I work with a lot of women who, you know, they either do some form of high intensity training or they do CrossFit or they do like, you know, powerlifting or whatever. And I often see them under eating. And so you know, what do you think most women lack in their diet to support their performance and overall health? Two things. I think the protein intake by and large is inadequate. 
Um, so that's a huge component of, you know, not, not just only overall health, but eating to support performance and making strength gains or making gains in the gym. Um, I think that's a huge part that's lacking. You know, I'll see like, I ate two egg whites for, for breakfast and I'm like, great, that's six grams of protein. And you know, if you're training super hard and you're tearing yourself down physically, you've got to give yourself the substrate that's then going to help you recover. Mm-hmm. So I think the protein intake is, is in general, is really, really low. Um, the second thing would be fat intake. So again, like I think we kind of are, are battling this, you know, we need to eat low fat and fat has no place in our diets and and that's just hugely damaging as as we know um you know we work with whether it's the general public or coaching clients and stuff like that and i think there's still this big fat phobia that we're dealing with um in terms of women who are interested in performance and like yeah we're not going to necessarily push the boat towards just unlimited eating of high fat foods and, you know, stuff like that. But fat does have a place and it's necessary. And I, you know, I still get questions from people like, you know, um, I don't know if I should eat any fat because I don't want to get fat or, you know, there's still just a lot of misunderstanding about the role that fat plays in our diet and, uh, and how much fat is okay for people to eat. So, I think those two things are probably the the two most common things that I run into in terms of uh, women who are athletes and not necessarily eating to support their training um, or their performance goals. Um, Mm -hmm. And then kind of from, you know, I well, a third thing would be obviously carb intake. So I don't think this is true necessarily across the board. Like if you just took someone who had never heard of paleo and you were like, hey, what are you eating? I think a lot of women, like I mentioned, are deficient in protein and aren't eating enough fat. Mm -hmm. But in the CrossFit world or people that are familiar with paleo, if we kind of take that as a subsection, um, you know, carb intake can run the gamut. And I think we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of women too, who are just super, super, super low on carbohydrate intake and they're doing really high intensity training or they're, you know, training for an Ironman or they're training for a triathlon and they're doing the type of training that would necessitate more carbohydrate intake, but they're not actually eating enough. Um, and I, I see this a lot and I get a lot of emails from people who describe what they eat to me and they're like, I just can't figure out why I'm lagging in the gym. Like my health seems to be reversing. It's getting worse. I don't feel very good. Like my, um, for women, like, you know, my periods are messed up and stuff like that. And, when I take a look at what they're eating overall, like sometimes I don't know exactly how much volume people are eating, but by and large, I see that they're withholding carbohydrates significantly um, to the point where it could be detrimental. So yeah, like there's so much (laughs) that's there um, in terms of women and how they're eating for performance. But yeah, in general, like you hit the nail on the head there with not eating enough food overall. Um, because of this kind of like calorie counting mentality and like, oh, we, you know, we're pushing our bodies really hard, but we want to lose weight. So we're going to cut back on calories and cut back. It's just a, it's a, it's a quagmire yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people. It's really, it's really hard. Yeah. And I, I see it manifesting a lot because like I, you know, I work with a lot of women who, um, you know, go through these cycles of like restriction and then, uh, like sabotage or, you know, like really like periods of like overeating or like, you know, sitting down and like not being able to stop at like one brownie, even if it's like a paleo brownie. And I often, you know, when I, I look at, you know, it's obviously there's a huge mindset piece of that, but I also look at what they're eating and I, I find so much that, um, women who don't eat enough, like just, you know, carbohydrates and just food in general, like that's what happens, you know, like if you find yourself, you know, you're going to the gym, like maybe you're doing CrossFit a few times a week and, um, you know, maybe you're still following like this, whether it's, you know, like, 
a, a low carb paleo or like a zone diet, which is like way, way, way too under caloric. And then you wonder why you can't stop eating chocolate on Friday night. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, part of it is mindset, but it it's also just like your body saying like, give me some fuel. <laughs> and um, it's that rebound effect that, that can happen. And I think that like a lot of people are, and a lot of women I see, they're just, you know, they're honestly scared of carbohydrates. Like, yeah. you know, it was like 10 years ago, women were scared of fat. And I think a lot of women still are scared of fat, but they're scared of carbohydrates now and and fat, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the point that they're like, I had a pair halfway through the day and I feel guilty. You know, like it's it's like that. I mean, yeah. that's what I see, which is, and I, and I used to kind of be that way myself because it was so ingrained that like, carbs are going to make you fat. Um, and so, you know, like what, you know, like, what do you say to that? And just, you know, and, and I know that this is going to be like, this is really going to vary based on performance, but, you know, for someone who's say like, just like, you know, they go to the gym and they maybe do something like high intensity or strength training, like four times a week, like what's kind of a general idea of, of like the carbohydrates they should be, they should be eating. Um, well, from a performance standpoint, you know, if you're going to try to, well, if you're going to inc- be incorporating carbohydrate from a performance standpoint, having some kind of starchy vegetable, I mean, that's going to be my number one recommendation. And your best bet, like from a nutritional standpoint, in terms of you'll be getting the glucose substrate to replenish your muscles, like let's say you're crossfitting four times a week. Um, and it, it's a high nutrient value, right? So you've got all kinds of micronutrients that are going to come along with that starch that's going to break down into glucose that's going to then refuel your glycogen stores. So I would say, you know, if you're, if you're scared about introducing carbohydrate or you know you need to bump it up, like start with the starchy carbs, start with your sweet potatoes, start with your plantains, like start with those sorts of things um, and introduce those first. Like fruit is okay, but from a performance standpoint, if you're like, well, I'm going to use fruit post-workout, because of the fructose and how it preferentially replenishes glycogen in the liver, it's just not as efficient at <laughs> refueling the glycogen that you've just burned up in your in your workout. So I am like a kind of a fan of if you have to have fruit, it's the only option, um, or you're going to like cut your sweet potato with some applesauce, like it's probably not a big deal, but Overall, it's not the best kind of option in the long run. Um, and then, yeah, like if you're if you're adding lots of kind of nutrient poor sugars to your daily routine, um, again, you're like missing the micronutrition that comes along with that. So, I always go for or recommend foods that are high nutrient value if you're going to eat the carbohydrate that goes along with it. Which is why you know one of the reasons why in paleo we would tend to recommend against things like legumes and other grains and stuff like that. They're just, they, yes, they have nutrients, but they're not quite as nutrient dense as vegetables uh, or fruit. So, yeah, that would be kind of my general recommendation in terms of types of foods to eat. And then if you're working out three or four days a week and you have a day in between that you're going to have an, an off day or a rest day, I don't tend to see people needing to do like, the post-workout within 15 minutes of them getting done. And there's just like that frequency of training isn't there to necessitate that. So if you do have this just kind of overall goal of health, maybe like aesthetically you want to lose a little bit of body fat, um, but you're still going to the gym, I'm kind of a fan of making sure you get some kind of starchy vegetable for dinner that night when you get home and, you know, call it good. So a lot of people get really worked up about their post-workout. And mm-hmm. and these are people like, again, they're not highly competitive. They're not training five or six days a week. And a lot of people get super stressed about like, oh, I need to make sure I have my post-workout. And oh, I can't cook anything. So like, how am I going to do this? And I'm super busy. And they get really stressed about it, which is counterproductive in a lot of cases to actual <laughs> like just like lowering your cortisol levels and keeping things in check. Um, so those people who have a day off in between, just have a have a sweet potato, have a white potato for dinner, um, and and just call it good. You know, don't stress out about I have to you know eat this within 15 minutes of being done with my workout. 
Now, if you're someone who trains five or six days a week or you're doing two a days, things become a little bit more tight there with your schedule because, yeah, like you're going to be demanding that your body is refueled for the next morning. So that becomes a bit more important. But I think in general, a lot of people who freak out about post-workout and um, stuff like that are, are making things harder than they have to be. Yeah, it's like this pursuit of perfection that's like really like how much, you know, it's, how much better is it going to make you if, if you're not like actually competing and you're just trying to be like a healthy individual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's just, you know, it's it's a matter of like listening to your body too. like, you know, and if you're hungry, then eat more. Like if you're craving more starchy foods, mm-hmm. then eat more starchy foods. It's like and, and I and it's really a variable thing, you know, like some days I'll eat way more starch than others and and it all just kind of like balances out. And that's when I know I'm actually probably, you know, fueling my body the way it's meant to be. Well, I think there's also something to be said about paying attention to other factors other than just what you look like physically in terms of whether things are working or not. So a lot of times I'll hear from people and they're like, oh, I'm training five or six days a week and I've managed to get my body fat down, but I'm a jerk to my boss um, because I'm so stressed out. I can't handle my relationships. I can't sleep. Women, like I'm missing periods or my cycles are super irregular. Like my, you know, my skin seems to be kind of just not in great shape compared to what it used to be. You know, so we're getting all these very strong signals that like something is messed up. But you're like, oh, but I've reached this holy grail of like the body composition (laughs) that I want to have. And my answer to that is like, if you're not competing as a, as like a, you know, you're not a, an aesthetic type of competitor, like a figure competitor, then, you know, what are you giving up in order to achieve that perfect body? And if like all of the other signs are pointing to the fact that your health really is going in a negative direction, whether it's your mental health or your physical health, like what is that worth? Um, Is it worth it? And, you know, where, like, is it worth steering the boat in that, in that extreme kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I've finally reached this super low body fat percentage, but the rest of my life sucks. <laughs> but yeah. it's okay because now I have like the perfect abs that I can, you know, show everybody on vacation when I wear a bikini. But, you know, my friends don't want to hang out with me because I'm a nightmare and, um, you know, like my hair, my hair is falling out. <laughs> so that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think you have to take that into, into account. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's like kind of, uh, a lot of what happened to me, like, you know, when I was at my lowest body fat, like I, you know, people were always like, Oh, like your arms look so good. Like, blah, blah, blah. And, but really like, they didn't see like what was really going on inside and inside, like it was a very dark mind and a very horrid relationship with food. And, and like my body was literally like starting to shut down. It's like hormonal functions and everything else. And, and you really also have to ask yourself, like, how long can you keep this charade up? You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you can work out six times a week, like measuring your food and whatnot. But, you know, do you really want to be doing that for the rest of your life? Well, first of all, like your body at some point is going to just stop and reject you and you'll start to, you know, put on more weight or whatnot. But, um, uh, you know, like you really have to look at yourself and be like, is this what I want my life to be? Or, you know, is there more to life? Is there, you know, being able to go out and have fun and, and not worry about whether, you know, you like maybe ate too many potatoes with dinner or whatever, you know, like just being able to live your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, having freedom from food in the sense of like having that hanging over your head, right? Like the guilt, the, um, the negative talk about what you're eating and how that makes you feel. It's important to get rid of that, but it's also, I think, important to get rid of that surrounding body image. And it's not easy, obviously, like, Mm-hmm. We know we both know personally it's very difficult, but you know focusing on what you can do um I think is it is a much better metric of exactly what you look like and certainly, if you're of an unhealthy body composition, wanting to change that is a is a perfectly valid goal, but I think we're talking about a different subset of people here, and that's the people who are just like chasing the perfect body com- body fat composition percentage and um, pushing like physical capacity or physical appearance to a certain extreme um, and sacrificing a lot of other things to get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, uh, 
like it really comes back to focusing on, uh, you know, as you said, like just, you know, what your, you know, what your body can do. And I just find that it's just like, it's a much more rewarding experience and your body's just going to kind of, it's going to go to the healthiest weight for you. If you focus on like mm-hmm. having that good relationship with food, having that good relationship with yourself, um, you know, putting like, and, and looking after yourself, then it's going to fall where it needs to fall and it's going to be wherever that is for you. And so, um, you know, I think that's it, you know, by letting go of like, I only want to lose body fat. It's just, it opens you up to a much more like rewarding and long-term sustainable experience. Totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I see a lot of women who train like, you know, I'll have like, some clients who come to me and they are working out, you know, like two or three hours a day, like five days a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then their, you know, their health starts to suffer. So whether it's like digestive issues or, you know, their adrenals um, and it, it, like at some point, like, you know, I say to them and sometimes these women are, you know, like, you know, late thirties, early forties, like there's, you know, and I'm not saying that like you can't be an athlete at that age, but you know, it, that's that's the kind of point where it really starts to impede your health. Like when, like at what point does too much training start to have a negative effect on your health? Because I think there's this idea that like more is better. And, you know, the more that you train, the healthier you're going to be. But the reality is, is that like that starts to create a gap at some point. Yeah, there's definitely kind of a, a point of diminishing return. And you know, it's not for me or anyone else to say like having specific athletic goals is wrong. Um, But I think a lot of the time when, when folks are training and I'm almost 36, like I'm, I'm getting to the point where um, I've become very aware of how training is affecting my body um, and my, and my mental state and stuff like that. And I know for me that training right now more than four days a week doesn't help me get better. It actually, you know, I see if I train more than four times a week, I actually see on the fifth day um, or the fifth session that coordinated, like I struggle to um, make my lifts. I don't feel as strong. I start to get more achy. Like, (laughs) I don't know if it's just a function of being older, but um, it's true of younger people as well. They're just more resilient physically. Um, but there's definitely a point at which more training isn't going to actually make you a better athlete. And, and like I said, I, I can't decide for people what's right for them to pursue. Um, but I think a lot of times the overtraining or the compulsion to train is set out because of wanting to control, um, body composition, you know, wanting to stay skinny or wanting to stay like with a low body fat percentage, um, needing to maintain people's physical appearance. And again, like, I don't think that's, I can't say whether that's right or wrong for people, but I think it has to be an honest conversation that people have with themselves is like, okay, what's driving me to actually go to the gym today? Is it because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't go? Mm -hmm. Um, and I had this when I was cycling, there would be days when I really did not want to go out and ride at all. I would, I, you know, I was like, I really don't want to go ride. Um, like it felt very dark instead of feeling very like light and fun. And I was like, well, it's in the training plan. And obviously for me, I recognize this is now is a very uh, key sign for myself of overreaching and overtraining. But at the time, I was like, well, it says it on the training plan, so I have to go out. And I would go out, and I would suffer through it. And um, a lot of times, I did it because I felt like if I didn't go out and ride that day, that I was going to be slower, and I was going to um, you know, lose the next race or not be as good of a cyclist. And I think a lot of times, those things are what drive us to go to work out, even when we know like in our heart of hearts that we should take the day off or we should back off a little bit. Um, you know, we're afraid that we're going to take a, a backslide in our progress, whether that's physical progress um, with body composition or, um, you know, actual training benchmarks and strength and stuff like that. And I think there's just a lot of that in the strength community, um, particularly for people who are kind of solo and out on their own, or they go to a gym where the programming isn't very strong. 
you know, they're training hard all the time. They're never backing off. They're not introducing rest weeks or their gym programs a rest week or a, a deload and they go out and they go to a different gym or they do it at home instead. And right. Cause they're, they're like, well, I don't need to rest. I don't need to deload. Yeah. Um, right. So it's just as common in, in strength training as it is in more kind of traditional, like endurance based sports is that, um, people are just kind of overdoing it in a lot of cases. And, um, it's like tracking that data um, can really help you to kind of see, well, hey, I just went through this strength cycle and I was just, you know, I added some other exercise on top of it, which happens a lot like, oh, I started going to jujitsu or I started going to CrossFit um, and they start doing other sports in addition to this and they're like, wow, I actually didn't improve my strength numbers very much or they got worse. So it's like t- keeping that quantity data around but also kind of tapping into how you feel and mm-hmm. I'm kind of a big fan of just jotting things down in a training journal like I do this and it's not very formal but I'm like wow I felt slow today or uh, weight felt really heavy or um, you know stuff like that that can kind of give me clues as to how I'm performing um, not only just by the numbers but hey I could maybe I can clean 75 kilos on any one day but it just felt super hard it felt like a struggle whereas that weight normally wouldn't be so difficult so gathering that sort of stuff and kind of taking an objective look at it and saying, you know, is actually going that extra day a week, is it helping me really? Or is it just because I feel like if I don't go, um, I feel guilty Yeah. or, you know, I feel like, um, I'm going to somehow gain five pounds in a day. Like if I take the day off and so I think there's a lot of that out there. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. And it becomes like almost like an addiction too. you know, you see that a lot. They're just like, but I love it so much. But it's like, you know, you just, you know, you have to look at the at the point at which you need to make a choice in terms of like, you know, you do you want to sacrifice aspects of your health? um, Mm -hmm. Or do you want to like, you know, you maybe need to give yourself a bit of a reality check is that, you know, you might be a little bit addicted to it, (laughs) and maybe need a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, but uh, as we kind of near the end of the show here, I want to make sure we talk about your book. So tell us about your new book. The Performance Paleo Cookbook is really the kind of get into the kitchen and use the concepts that I presented in my ebook for people because the Paleo Athlete, my ebook is kind of, uh, well, it's kind of like a theoretical slash like, all right, let's just talk about macronutrients and what they do and like let's talk about different types of sports and what their demands are and let's talk about some recommendations for you know trying to get some different macronutrient ranges for the type of sport you're going to do so it's very much kind of like a an overall idea as to as to how athletes can use a paleo type template to actually fuel their pursuits but the cookbook is the companion to that and saying, hey, like, take this book, get into your kitchen, because if you're trying to improve your nutrition, more than likely you're going to end up cooking most of your meals. Um, and to actually give people some ideas as to what foods they can eat and cook and, and you know, get in there and make it really happen. So um, the way I've split it up is there's a section on pre-workout foods, there's a section on post-workout foods, recipes, there's uh, a section on kind of like protein-based, um, you know, like meats and, and different proteins that you would center your meal around, and then kind of some interchangeable parts, some carbohydrate-dense side dishes, some um, vegetables, obviously very important to get veggies in. This is not a, a no-veggie diet. So veggies and sauces and just kind of simple things that people can then combine to make a full meal. But uh, but I really wanted to present some kind of different and, you know, also familiar options for carbohydrates in there since it's one of the things that I am, you know, I talk about a lot is making sure you're getting enough carb intake uh, regarding your support. So, you know, there's definitely uh, a little bit there that's catered to performance-based sports or you know people that are interested in really chasing performance but a lot of the recipes in there just taste really good and anybody could eat them you know like I don't think even if you're kind of uh you know just out there for fun you're a weekend warrior like 
can you eat some sweet potatoes? Yeah, like <laughs> it's yeah, not. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there are recipes that really anybody can can use and and uh, and incorporate into their routine. So if if there's some boredom or you're just looking for something new, and um, a lot of this stuff is stuff you can get at your regular grocery store, but I also tried to include some different stuff. So things like yucca, um, which is a, a root vegetable or a tuber. And just some kind of like, you know, get some things in there to give people ideas as to like how to how to just break away from the old roasted sweet potato. Not that it's bad, but a lot of people get bored with that sort of thing. So I'm really hoping it's just going to be the way for people to then say, okay, I know I have to eat better. I know nutrition matters to performance, but how am I going to actually make this happen on a daily basis? And uh, that way they can take that into the kitchen and start cooking. Cool. And so uh, I I love food. So tell me, like, you know, give us a couple teasers. Like, what are some of your favorite recipes in the book? Like, basically make me drool. <laughs> I, my favorite recipe in the book is probably an, a marinated flank steak, which is nice. super good, super tender. It's got ginger and garlic and green onions. And um, that's really, really good. That's probably one of my favorites. Um, I've got, I'm really a big fan of like crunchy kind of coleslaw almost type salads. Mm, yes. So I've got like a, an Asian chicken kind of crunchy salad like that. I've got, um, probably one of my favorite side dishes is like a braised sweet potato with coconut milk and cinnamon. And so, yeah, there's like some comfort food stuff. There's some stuff that's, you know, kind of fresh and light. Um, gosh, braised short ribs, like, (laughs) (laughs) those sound really good. Okay. Now I'm drooling. (laughs) uh, Slow cooker, like roasted lamb shanks with root vegetables. Another kind of very good wintry, very comforting dish. So yeah, there's all sorts of good stuff. And are they all kind of, you know, cause obviously all the recipes on your website are really easy. Are they all, are they all pretty easy? Like not too many crazy ingredients like do you kind of keep it simple or do you are they a little bit more elaborate most of the stuff in there is just all very simple and basic and people always ask me like well how do you cook and I said well if you look at the website that's how that's how I cook (laughs) because I I blog stuff that I actually make for myself and it's how I eat so if you see it up there that means I eat it it's not one of those cases where I'm like well I make all these recipes, but I never eat them. I give them away to my neighbors because I know I can't eat them. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So the stuff you see up there is what you get with me and how I eat kind of on a daily basis. Um, And so, yeah, there's like a couple kind of random things thrown in there. But for the most part, like you don't have to go do a big shop on Amazon or like, you know, find some really kind of random ingredients. Most of them are very basic um, and easy to do and there's actually no baking at all. Um, so, you know, there's no like crazy ingredient lists and stuff like that. I just try to keep it to the point where people can make some simple stuff that's going to taste good. Uh, it's going to, you know, obviously help them to stay on track with their nutrition plan and uh, just kind of get motivated and inspired to, to cook things up. Nice. I'm excited for it. Those recipes sound really good. I'm... Uh... Yeah, I the braised sweet potato with the coconut milk and cinnamon. I'm just like, oh my god, I could eat a big <laughs> bowl of that right now. <laughs> so good. Yeah, it sounds so good. Um, so uh, I know last time I asked you, like, what was the most fearless thing that you've done? Um, if you have anything different, or if you want to share the same thing, you can. Or if you'd prefer to skip it, that's cool too. Okay. Well, when I was in Thailand recently. I did, we did this zip line thing and I had never zip lined in my life. And we were on the way. I was like, oh, whatever, zip lining, like you jump, like you go on a thing between two trees, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I got there and I am super scared of heights. <laughs> yeah, me too. Super duper, like, no thanks. I'm okay. And uh, we got to this zip line thing. It's called Flight of the Gibbon. And Thailand and it was like in an old growth rainforest (laughs) with enormous trees like trees 
that look like they came off the set of Lord of the Rings, like giant trees and all this other stuff. And there is a zip line there that's 800 meters long. Wow. Yeah, 800 meters. So that's, that's, that's really far. Half a mile. And so I actually had a GoPro kind of in my hand. Um, we were filming for uh, this video that we made about our trip. And I screamed the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually really scary, but it was super fun. And by the end, I kind of was like just jumping off the platform like, yeah, let's do this. But that's probably one of the more fearless things I've done recently. Cool. That's awesome. So where yeah. can people find you? Uh, pretty much any major social platform. If you just search Stupid Easy Paleo, you'll find me. And then my website is stupideasypaleo.com. Great. Awesome. Well, I will link to all of those in the show notes, including um, obviously the link to the Performance Paleo Cookbook, which again, um, you know, you can order it now and it's it'll be released on on Jan 6th. So yeah. very exciting. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show again and all your insights. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to kind of talk about uh, all these different things with you that I wanted to talk about last time. So I am very excited about your cookbook and I hope that everyone will uh, look into it and pick up a copy too. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, rock on. Fun to be back. <laughs> If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes and leave me a review. I would be so grateful if you took two minutes to do that for me. And don't forget to head to summerinandin.com or summerthenutritionist.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rock in your bod. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.